0: continue on in Mark 14 this morning. Mark chapter 14, we'll pick up in verse 53. This is right where we left off. Jesus had been in the garden of Gethsemane praying with his disciples, and it wasn't long after he finished praying that his betrayer was near he told his disciples my betrayer is coming and lo and behold his betrayer was his friend one of his own apostles it was Judas and Judas came and kissed Jesus and called him rabbi called him teacher betrayed him and turned him over to those who had come to arrest Jesus and as Jesus was being arrested there was there was a little resistance from his apostles but it was short-lived. Soon after Jesus was arrested, the apostles fleed, just as Jesus said that they would. They fled and they, uh, they were gone. And in these last few hours of Jesus' life, he was, he was left alone, at least left alone in a, in a human sense. As close closest as human companions were gone, but of course, he was doing the will of the Father. He was drawing strength from the Father, and he was willing to do whatever he was called to do. Mark chapter 14, we'll start in verse 53. Well, Lord willing, we're going to read through all the way through verse 65. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes convened. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the temple police, warming himself by the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could find none, for many were giving false witness against him, but the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and were giving false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll demolish this sanctuary made by human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer anything. Again, the high priest questioned him Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him blindfold him and to beat him saying prophesy the temple police also took him and slapped him let's pray father god we come to you this morning we thank you for these words and i pray god that we would get something from what we see today i pray that you hold your holy spirit would keep us free of distractions today and get our minds and our hearts focused on you god perhaps we come in here with the worries and the stresses of the world perhaps we come in here today god with anger in our heart or hatred in our heart or bitterness in our heart or sadness in our heart god i pray that you would restore our hearts today that you would restore our souls and i pray that your holy spirit would speak through me i pray that you'd be glorified and i pray god that these words would be good for us today i ask you to be with me dear lord take away my pride take away my fear and hide me behind the cross that I would preach and teach your word in a way that is going to be beneficial to each one of us here. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After Jesus is arrested, he is led away to the very ones who had been trying to arrest Jesus and kill Jesus for quite some time. We see some familiar characters mentioned. The high priest, the chief priest, the elders, and the scribes. These would have all been religious folks of the day. These would have been Jewish Jewish men. These would have been God's chosen people that Jesus had come to save, and not just them, but, but all through Jesus. But, but Jesus was sent first to God's own people, and these who were in the highest religious positions of the day were the ones who hated Jesus the most. And they had been looking for every opportunity they could to arrest Jesus, but they never did find a good opportunity because many in the crowds loved Jesus and there were often crowds around Jesus. But they had finally got their opportunity and Jesus was in Gethsemane alone with his disciples and there he was arrested and brought before these who hated Jesus so much. And We still see Peter mentioned in the story. He's there at a distance as Jesus is being taken in to to, to be put on trial, if we can call it that. It was a bit of a mock trial. There was only one verdict that was going to come out of this trial of Jesus, and that verdict among those who were charging him was a verdict of guilty. And Jesus is brought before this group in this mock trial, and we see that the chief priest and the whole uh, Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now, when we talk about the Sanhedrin, this would have been uh, the, the the group that would have been uh, kind of the the judge in this situation. It would have been a group that would have convened to take care of legal issues and to pass judgment and sentence, and, uh, and, and it would have contained many of these probably who had hated Jesus uh, throughout his ministry. And they had been looking for a way to find uh, a way to put Jesus to death. But there, of course, were no ways. Jesus had done nothing that they could bring against him. Jesus had done nothing but love people and heal the sick and bring the dead back to life. Jesus had had preached a good message. He had fed people. He had done all kind of miraculous works and beautiful, wonderful things. But uh, regardless, these folks hated Jesus so much, there was really nothing that Jesus could say or do that would change their mind. And they brought Jesus here before the Sanhedrin, and they were looking for a reason to put him to death, but they could find none, the scripture says. It says in verse uh, 56 that many were giving false testimony against him, but the testimonies did not agree. So we can imagine the scene. There were many people who were saying a lot of things that, oh yeah, Jesus did this, and oh yeah, Jesus did that, but the things that they were saying Jesus did, even their own testimonies did not agree. They were giving false testimonies. Perhaps they wanted to be part of the excitement. Perhaps we could relate to that. I I could. When I read this passage this week, I was brought all the way back to first grade, and I remember once in first grade uh, that, that there was... a a fight that broke out. There was a kid that was just, he was distraught because another kid had dropped his pencil down the drain in the bathroom. And the teacher was saying, did anybody see this happen? I want to know what went on in there. And I said, oh, I saw it, I saw it. And I went in that bathroom and she said, what happened? And I said, well, he took his pencil and I walked over to the sink and I said, he dropped it right down that drain. And the boy whose pencil got took said, no, he didn't. He dropped it over here on the floor down this drain. Dang it. I was lying through my teeth. I didn't see what happened. I wanted to be part of the action. I was bringing a testimony. I saw him do it. Here's what he did. He put it over here. And the teacher said, go back in the classroom. Because my, my testimony didn't line up with the rest of the testimony because I was lying. Well, that's not so different from what happened here. There was probably a lot of people in the middle of the excitement. They wanted to see Jesus die. They was making up whatever they could. Oh, yeah, I saw him. He did this. And I know I saw him. He did that. But, but the testimonies didn't line up. That wasn't going to be good enough. Even, even that wouldn't stick for these people who hated Jesus. They needed something more solid. They needed something that would hold up in court, at least to make their consciousness feel better, I guess. And so we continue on in verse 57. Some stood up and were giving false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will demolish this sanctuary made by human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. So they found this one thing that they thought maybe they could get Jesus on, and Jesus had said this, but as usual, many of the people who heard Jesus didn't understand what he was saying. They missed the meaning of what he was saying. Jesus would say things that, that didn't make sense at first, but, but, but there was a message in there. There was a spiritual meaning and a spiritual message to what Jesus was saying. And the passage that's being referenced here is found in John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, and I'll read that for you. And it says, So the Jews replied to him, What sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this sanctuary and i will raise it up in three days now jesus was doing all of these different miracles and teaching all these things and they said by what authority do you have how can you show us the sign of your authority of who you are that you are really who you say you are and jesus said all right you want a sign i'll give you a sign here's the sign destroy the sanctuary and i will raise it up in three days now what the people had in mind was the temple of God. It was there that they would have gone to. And they were thinking, man, Jesus is going to destroy this sanctuary and build it in three days. It took years to build this thing, many, many years. How is this guy going to destroy this temple, this sanctuary, and rebuild it in three days? But Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was speaking of his body. He was, he was giving them a spiritual illustration, something That probably many who followed Jesus and trusted Jesus when Jesus died and was resurrected, for some it may have clicked. Ah, this is what Jesus was talking about. The sanctuary Jesus referred to was his body. Jesus was telling them, you want a sign of my authority? I will give you the greatest sign of any. My body will be destroyed. My body will be nailed to a cross, but in three days my body will be raised. Now what more powerful sign can there be than that? But... The people of Jesus' day often misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. He would say things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the people would say, what What in the world is he talking about? But he wasn't talking about be like cannibals and eat me up. Jesus was talking in the spiritual sense that we are to live by his flesh that 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 was given for us and his blood that was shed for us. And by his flesh and his blood, we do find life in him. We are sustained in him. And so we see lots of examples of Jesus in the New Testament speaking in a, in a way that seems kind of strange, but there's a, there's a powerful spiritual lesson that Jesus wants his people to get. And, and this is the instance that's brought up in this trial. Oh, yeah, we heard him say he would destroy the temple and rebuild it. And he'll rebuild it not by hands. The temple was made by hands, but he's going to build it not by hands. And they thought maybe this would be a good way to get him, but it says at the end of the text there in verse 59 that yet their testimony did not agree even on this. So you have to imagine that these chief priests and scribes and elders, well, they were probably pleased that they had gotten Jesus there, but they had really gotten nothing nothing on him. After all, what could they get on him? And the testimonies were coming in left and right, and even... The greatest testimony that had come in about him destroying the temple was not enough. There was even disagreement amongst the crowd that was there and the ones who were arguing about these things. And so they must find some accusation against Jesus. And so the trial continues on in verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? but he kept silent and did not answer anything. That might be a good a good little thing for us to make note of there, that as Jesus was standing before his enemies, he kept silent. Now, Jesus did speak a little bit, as we will see here, and as we will see as the story continues, but Jesus' words were very few when he was on trial, and perhaps there are many occasions where our words need to be few. It's easy for us when our enemies are coming against us, or our friends are coming against us and and making allegations against us and attacking us in some way, it's easy for us to want to respond and want to argue back. But that's not what Jesus did. He simply let them make their accusations and he remained silent. Perhaps there are many times in our life that we simply need to remain silent because the things that we would say may not be fitting to say. Keep that in mind and... In our own lives, we should. But he continued to be questioned further in verse 61. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? So they just came right out and asked him the question. Are you the Messiah? And there are, there are some people that, that I've heard say that Jesus never said that he was the Messiah. But I don't think that they have read Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62. Because it seems pretty clear to me that Jesus says that he is the Messiah. He is asked point blank, are you the Messiah? And Jesus responds in verse 62, I am. That's pretty definitive. I am. Now, those two words are significant to us, I believe. These are two words that we see Jesus use frequently of himself in Scripture. No doubt this is probably a reference to way back in, in Exodus. In Exodus chapter uh, 3, verses 13 and 14. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. When Moses went before God, this is the account of that. In verse 13 of Exodus 3. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Who does God call himself in Exodus 3? He says, I am. When the people ask. Moses says, what do I tell them? God says, you tell them, I am sent you. Now, I believe that when Jesus said the word, I am here, that that's probably not a coincidence. I believe that that's probably to draw us back to that very passage. The very passage that these who had Jesus on trial would have known. They would have known the law of Moses, the Torah it is called. They would have known what the law said. They probably could have recited this passage to you that I just read from heart, many of them. They knew who God was. They knew that God was the I am. He is I am. And here they question Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am. Continuing on. Jesus says, and all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now Jesus is certainly probably referencing Daniel chapter 7 here. Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 read as follows. I continued watching in the night visions. This is a vision of Daniel. And I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one That will not be destroyed. Now Daniel is pointing us forward. These words came long before Jesus, but they were pointing us to Jesus. And what did he see? He saw one like the Son of Man approaching the ancient of days. Now this is speaking of Jesus approaching God here. And the Son of Man is a term that we see Jesus use often of himself. Jesus almost always refers to himself as the Son of Man. And I don't believe that that is coincidental. I believe that Jesus is probably trying to draw his hearers' attention back to Daniel chapter 7. And who is this one that Daniel sees? What is he going to do? Well, he is going to have authority over everything. He is going to have a kingdom that will last forever. And so I think Jesus is dropping some hints here to these people who have him on trial. You have me on trial, but I want you to know who I am. Are you the Messiah? I am. And you will see me coming on the clouds. And no doubt this audience that he was speaking to, most if not all of them would have been familiar with Daniel's prophecy. And Jesus is giving them clues and Jesus is giving them hints to all who would hear the words of Jesus. And for some, I believe that that connection was probably made. But not for those who had Jesus on trial. It would not have mattered what Jesus had said. It would not have mattered what Jesus had done. They were determined that they were going to kill Jesus. And as the high priest heard these words of Jesus, he tore his robes. This is something that we see a lot in the Old Testament in particular. When we we see the tearing of robes, it's 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 a sign of grief of something that's going on. We see uh, when Reuben, uh, when when, uh, uh, Joseph is put into a pit by his brothers and they want to kill him and Reuben's going to go back later and save him. When Reuben comes back to the pit, and he sees that Joseph is gone. He tears his clothes. When, when David, for example, hears that Saul and Saul, uh, Jonathan have died. Now, David was the king of, 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 of Israel, and, and Saul had been the king of Israel. And Saul was evil, and he had tried to kill David. And in all that Saul tried to do, David respected Saul because he was the man appointed by God. And even when David heard of Saul's death, he tore his clothes, and he mourned. Saul. And so we see in in, in times of, of grief are, are things that, that are heard that are that are that are just disturbing and difficult in the Old Testament, uh, that, that clothes are ripped. And boy, when the high priest heard what Jesus said, he tore his robes and he continues on by saying, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. Blasphemy, the high priest says. How dare you make such a claim? We need no more witnesses. This man has condemned himself. He has spoken blasphemy. What do you say, crowd? And the crowd began to beat him, and they began to spit on him, and they began to blindfold him. And the sentence was passed. Guilty. And this man is guilty and therefore he is deserving of death. What is our response to Jesus? The many people of Jesus' day, they heard what he had to say, they knew the word of God, but they did not listen to what he had to say. They did not follow him. They did not believe he was the son of God. They did not trust him. They did not listen to the truth of His words. But instead, they wanted to continue to live in their sin. They said, we want to be religious, but we don't want to be righteous. We want to do some of what God's Word says, but we don't really want to be held accountable for the rest of it. We don't really want to follow God. We really want to do what we want to do. Well, we're going to pretend like we're following God in the process now, we may look at all of these who put Jesus on trial and we may say man I'm glad nobody like that is in the world today but the truth of the matter is that we got to be careful we don't fall into the same trap that we don't come to church every Sunday or read our Bible throughout the week and see the words of Jesus And hear the words of Jesus, but don't listen to the words of Jesus. Praise the Lord that we get to come here today and we get to hear God's Word. But it doesn't do us any good if we hear it and do not live by it. I hope that none of you are like these who put Jesus on trial. Because we come to read the Word of God. We come to read what Jesus says. And when Jesus was asked. Are you the Messiah? Jesus said, I am. Jesus is the Messiah. You and I are sinners. You and I are doomed to be separated from God. You and I are doomed to be judged by God. There is nothing we can do to earn forgiveness of our sins. But we have a Messiah who said, I will I will suffer the pain of my prayer in the garden. I will suffer the pain of the abandonment of my closest friends. I will suffer the pain of a mock trial with with lies that are being spread against me. I will suffer the pain of the people who I come to save that hate me more than anything in the world. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to suffer all that and more because I love you. Because your sins need to be forgiven. Jesus is the Messiah. He is our Savior. Jesus says, I am. But what is Jesus? Well, he tells us that he is a lot of things in Scripture. We'll look at some of those right now. If you want these afterward, I'll be glad to point you to these. I'll go through them quickly. Who is Jesus, you might ask? Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is coming, the Almighty. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells us who he is. You have heard today in God's word that Jesus is I am. He is the one who has come for us. He is our shepherd. He is our redeemer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. The group before Jesus that day heard who He was. And they chose to reject Him. I hope that you and I today do not make the same mistake. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for these good words. And God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for who he was and who he is. And God, I pray that you would help us not to miss him today. God, if there is one who is in this room that does not know Jesus, I pray that they would repent of their sins, that they would seek him. God, I pray that you help us to look at our own lives to make sure we're not like these scribes and Pharisees and elders that we don't just fall into the trap of religion. It's easy to do, dear Lord, to go through the motions. But God help us to be more than religious. Help us to be righteous in Jesus. God, I pray that if there's one that has never trusted Jesus today, they would. That they'd come to Him and ask for forgiveness. They'd put their their faith in Him. They would know that He is the only Savior of the world. God, maybe there's some in here today and they're yours and maybe they just hadn't been living right. I pray that you just help them to seek you, to repent, to turn back to you. God, I pray that as we study about Jesus in these last few weeks and the next few weeks that we learn from him, that we learn from his gentle responses, that we learn from his humility, that we learn from his overwhelming ability to keep his, his, his mouth shut in times that he needed to, dear Lord, and he speak plainly and concisely in the times that he needed to speak. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for showing us through your word who Jesus is. And God, I pray that everybody in here will know who Jesus is and have a relationship with him today before we leave. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.